I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> it's probably like getting great 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the place. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. I have been waiting to do that for months now. Um, I am Greg Smith. That guest that you just heard is Jacob Padilla, also at Varsity. Uh, Jacob, how are you? Good. Uh, the, the intro to this podcast went about as smooth as your setup of uh, getting it ready here. Are you, are you feeling all right? You took a bit of a spill while you're getting this mic set up. Listen, I was focused on Derek's instructions, and he's still coming in. I thought I hit the mute button. Uh, <laughs> he's, it, like I was focused on the very detailed instructions that he gave me. Uh, I may have missed the chair <laughs> and landed on the floor. Cannot confirm or deny. <laughs> Oh, and this is post-dentist uh, visit as well, so you're in all kinds of rough shape right now. Yeah, I'm having an interesting day. I had some significant dental work done this morning um, where they had to give me anesthesia on two quadrants in my mouth, and yeah, it's, it's been a day. But I'm, you're, I'm here for you. Yeah, you're here powering through yes. to give the people what they want, what they demand. Yes, they Hail Varsity, Varsity <laughs> Club Podcast. They do demand the podcast. So I want to kick things off, though, with, with some basketball news. And really, honestly, this is an excuse for you to yell at the NCAA. Uh, Shamil Stevenson this week was denied a waiver, and this was after a an appeal, right? Uh, the initial uh, yes. waiver. So go ahead and explain the so, situation and what happened here and why they will not have Shamil Stevenson this week. So Nebraska's been pretty quiet. Hoiberg's de- declined to give any kind of updates throughout this prog- process. And basically what we found out on Tuesday was that they got turned down not once, not twice, but three different times. The NCAA said no. Um, they, they filed the initial uh, appeal for a waiver and got denied. They basically sent it back, hey, please reconsider this. Still no. And then on Tuesday, they had a uh, hear, uh, an appeal hearing over the phone with the NCAA. And still, the answer was no. And I just don't understand. I, nobody understands no. what, what the... Uh, Nebraska felt like they had a really good case, and they took their time putting this case together. They submitted it fairly late, considering when he joined the program or whatever, because I think they wanted to get all their ducks in a row, and yet still the NCAA has decided, no, this kid doesn't need to play. So I think the issue, I'm guessing, is the fact that he transferred twice within the same year, same calendar year, so... But when you... 
look at the reasons why he transferred and what led to him arriving at Nebraska, this is the kind of kid that deserves to have a waiver. So first he commits to Kevin Stallings at Pittsburgh and has a good freshman year. Then they fire Stallings because they won eight games that year and hired Jeff Capel. And for whatever reason, Stevenson just was not in the picture with Capel. He had seven DNPs. He only played in four games in their first 11 for a total of 32 minutes. So it was clear at that point, yeah, you know what, you're, you're not part of my future plans with, with Capel. So I was like, all right, at the, at the semester he transferred to Nevada and was going to be fine. I'm sitting out, sat out the second semester there. Uh, then Eric Musselman, after the year, left Nevada to go take the head job at Arkansas. So now this is the second coach that he committed to that left him. First one got fired, second one went to go take another job. Hey, by the way, guess who's coaching right now? Eric Musselman. He didn't have to sit out at all. But uh, so, yeah, so his coach left him, and so he hit the market again looking for somewhere that felt comfortable. He wanted to play for a coach that he chose that he, because he had that bad experience with Capel where it's a guy that he, that came in late here and that they, he just didn't click with. So he wanted to go find a coach that he knew had his best interests at art that he fit with. And so he landed at Nebraska in May. And so he, he sat out the first semester, or the second semester last year, and so, and then transferred. So, yeah, maybe, originally I think there was some confusion. A lot of us thought that he would be eligible for at the end of the first semester, no matter what, because he did sit out that second semester, so you had another semester, and that's a year sitting out. But I guess the clock restarted because he transferred again. So now he has to set out two semesters, so that would be this whole season. But it just seems like this is a kid. Now he's, so basically he's given up an entire semester and the long semester of games of his career and has to sit out a whole nother year. So he'll have, he'll have had to sit out three semesters between actually playing basketball. And the semester right before that, he barely even played. Like I said, 32 total minutes. So this is a guy that's essentially going to have to sit out two full years because he had two coaches leave him. And yet the NCAA couldn't find a reason to give him immediate eligibility. So I, I just don't understand. You see all these football quarterbacks getting immediate eligibility waivers. Like I, You cannot – there is nothing the NCAA can say to me that would make me understand the justification for Tate Martell getting a waiver this year, but Shamil Stevens did not. Is it a difference in, in – because I've seen some of this where guys – are guys getting lawyers to try and fight on their behalf? Like, is that a difference here versus just having the school straight do it? Or like, Because I, I, I struggle, too, to figure yeah. out what the differences are in these cases, and especially some of the ones, like you, like you said, the Tate Martell one. Um, what was the kid? I think uh, Luke Ford, maybe, tight end, that was trying to transfer to Illinois to be closer, and they had a sick grandparent, and he got denied, but there yeah. were other guys that got in. Like, it just seems too arbitrary as to how these things yeah. are done. I don't know where the consistency is yeah. on these waivers. Well, and it seems like a couple years back, it seems like basically everybody was getting a waiver, and so they kind of overcorrected, so now they're coming trying, trying to come back the other way and get it more under control. And in the process, you're shutting down legitimate cases uh, for whatever reason. I don't know. Like, it, yeah, you said that oh, tr- closer home with sick relative or whatever. Like, they've kind of tightened up on that because, like, a lot of these kids just c- came up with some, yeah, like, hey, my third cousin has the sniffles this week, so I need to go home and, like, that kind of a thing. And, like, yeah, I understand that. But then in the process, you're 
you're shutting down kids with legitimate reasons. And like I'm like yes, I understand like that if you do just open up the floodgates, it could uh, create some really tough situations and the the sport would be dramatically different, but at the same time, I don't really care. Like these coaches are getting paid a lot of money, so go figure it out. Like I'm I'm almost always in, in support of the players in this case because of what they get versus the other side and everything and all the restrictions they have right now. And so it just, it's not like kids don't want to transfer. Kids transfer because they're just not in a good situation for them. They've got four years uh, to play college sports. That's it. Like you can't wait around forever and hope that something will change. Like if you don't see a light at the end of the tunnel where you're at, and yeah, there are some kids that run from competition, whatever, like, but so what? Like, do you want those kids in your program anyway? That's kind of my thing. Like, right. you do, do coach, have, yeah. have an ability to leave your program. Yes. Anyway, like, yeah. get them out of there. Get some kids in that does fit with you that you, you think can help your program. So, like, I, this whole situation just drives me nuts. And now you look at the basketball impact of this. Stevenson was arguably the best re- – certainly one of the best rebounders on the team. And this team just got crushed on the glass last night. It's lost a rebounding battle in every game so far this season, except for one, I believe, and they won that by one board. Um, so this is a guy that I think would have made a big difference in their ability to clean up some of the team's weaknesses right now. And now, suddenly, that's off the board. They've been practicing as if he is going to be eligible at some point this season because they believed in their case. And now that's off the board. So you have no reinforcements coming. What you have is what you're going to have to play with the whole year. And a whole lot of guards and big men, certainly Ivan Oidrago, that just doesn't appear ready. So th- this, this is a brutal blow, not only for Stevenson, but for Nebraska as well as they head into Big Ten play. Yeah, it's going to be tough, and it'll be interesting to see then spinning it forward if the second year of Fred Hoiberg and him getting some of those guys back will give them then a nice bump like that'll kind of, and it'll at least provide for a yeah. fun storyline kind of going into the season and, and give those guys some hope. Well, because that's exactly what happened at Iowa State his first year. You had uh, Royce Freeman and Chris Babb and Chris Allen all redshirting, and then Anthony Booker as well. So you had four guys transferred from other place that sat out that first year. So he kind of had. That, that first year, they went 16-16. and 16. They got crushed in Big 12 play because he was just kind of trying to piece things together and make do until he could get those guys in the program. It remains to be seen if these guys are going to have the same kind of I, – I, I, I'm excited about a lot of these pieces. I don't necessarily know that they've got a Royce Freeman uh, sitting on the bench right now waiting for next year, but you can certainly see guys like Stevenson and Delano Banton and then Derek Walker just because of his size and experience – uh, making a big difference next year and really kind of helping to solidify things in year two. Now, speaking of next year, the Huskers will have <laughs> There a you go. Again. They'll have some reinforcements that, as well. That, that is a professional football. transition right yeah, there, I've done Greg. this once or twice. Um, the, the football team was recruiting. So uh, one of the questions that I've gotten uh, increasingly uh, over the last week, two weeks here, is when will Nebraska get another 2020 recruit, right? Because they got the 2021 commit, and Henry Lutovsky, or Lutovsky, I still have to ask him how he pronounces that. I apologize. I'm guessing it's Lutovsky. Just yeah, based on how it's spelled. To see it or hear this. Um, they got two yesterday. Not only did they get two, they got two junior college uh, commitments, and they got two um, defenders 
and physicians that they really actually need help in right away. Well, and yeah, because you look at uh, your kind of like needs list, and <laughs> they're pretty good on offense right now. There are a lot of a lot of check marks in, on the defensive side of the ball for guys that they still need to to, to get into this class. Yeah, on offense, they just really need wide receivers. Yeah. Like that's we have it. Really, just need wide receivers, and when we say just need, I mean it's a huge need. Yeah. Um, but they, that's the only position group that really has an issue. On the defensive side of the ball, like you said, there, there's many more question marks because there's many more spots to fill is the thing. And so the, the two commits that they got, if missed it, um, was New Mexico Military Institute pass rusher Junior Ajo um, comes to Nebraska from France, and then Independence Community College inside linebacker Jumai Hodge, um, who's originally from the East Coast um, in Virginia. Uh, both of those guys are four for three junior college oh. guys, which is a big deal. It's like Deontay um, Williams, right? Yeah, like Deontay Williams, which we're seeing the value in that, um, or will here shortly. Um, and so, it, it, but Hodge is a January enrollee. He'll be here in January. Um, Aho is not. He is, he'll be here in May um, if all goes well. I guess it's always yeah. the caveat that you have to say with junior college players. Um, but I do like both of these pickups. As junior is more of a guy with a lot of upside, has not played football for a long time. I talked with him late last night. Yeah, that's a good um, piece. If you haven't seen it already, go yeah. check that out after you listen to this podcast. Great. Thank you. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, where he's only been playing football since, what, 2015. And he, but he was a martial artist before that and played soccer. I am fascinated to see how he fits on the football field because if you get a chance to read that piece or see like his huddle tape or anything like that, he looks very athletic and he's listed like 6'3, 255, I think is what he's mm-hmm. looking at. He's a big kid. That's not like no one fudged those numbers. Yeah. I, don't, I think that he's legitimately that size. So I'm, just, I'm really intrigued by him. Nebraska, um, looking at him more of that hybrid outside linebacker. Um, think about, He's more, he would be opposite of, say, Caleb Tanner yeah. now, um, if you're picturing kind of how they run their defense. Um, and that's what it's been pitched to him as, is he'd be a guy, um, as he, I think he, his exact words were, is to put the quarterback on the ground. There you go. <laughs> Music to Nebraska fans. You definitely want to hear that. Well, and, yeah, that background is kind of fascinating. And martial arts and uh, soccer, you would think that would lend you to having a little bit more fluidity and flexibility um, at that outside linebacker position than, say, a guy like that we've seen last few years here with Alex Davis, who they were hoping to kind of grow into that and as another late-to-football kind of kid but never quite got there. Um, so that it definitely, definitely interesting. Like, I, I like the, the – if you're going to go junior college route, this is kind of an interesting one. One, again, the, the not as much – football background but you've also got the three years like you mentioned or plus a retro year if, if he doesn't prove ready where you can really develop him so it's not a guy that's got it's got his two years and that's it so you got to pretty much get something out of him right away or it's a and waste that of helps scholarship. Your culture too right yeah. so as we talk about that all the time right but it, it helps the culture because you're not looking for a guy that's just a hundred percent of quick fix and is going to come in and if he doesn't play right away maybe he has a bad attitude like you you're set up from the beginning and saying hey we know that we're going to have a, a longer-term plan for you, regardless if you play right away or not. Maybe you do, and you'll play multiple years. But if you don't, we can build you up over time, yeah. and we have that time with you, which is really nice. Yeah. that's So two, two big commits now. People can, I guess, got another big visit this weekend. So uh, we'll see if they can kind of get on a roll here and keep adding to that. Not a whole lot of time left before signing day, but it's certainly a great start for 
uh, what they need to to finish this class. Yeah, there's going to have to be a run here. And real quick, because I didn't really mention him, Jamoy Hodge, the other yes, there uh, you go. inside linebacker from Independence Community College over in Kansas, um, or Missouri. He, I really like him a lot as an inside linebacker because he's quick. <laughs> he's yeah. very athletic as an inside linebacker. And I think that one of the things that we've seen throughout this season um, is that you're going to need, yes, you need guys to be able to come down and play in the box, um, and also, I think that part of that is not so much size as it is taking the right angles and being that, in the right and spot. I think that we underrate that yes. and maybe overrate size, sheer size, just a little bit. I think that's um, the biggest problem this year is like guys like Mo Berry and Will Honus, they're plenty oh, big they're enough that they should yeah. have been able to yeah. fill that role. That I mean, we a lot of us were really high on those guys coming in this yeah. year, thought that position might be one of the strongest on the team, but for whatever reason... It just seems like they've been out of position all season long. Yeah, and I think that Jamoyan is a guy who's in he's about 6'2", 230, 235. Uh, like I said, an athletic kid who can play well in space. He played outside linebacker a lot um, in JUCO. He's another 4 for 3 guy like we mentioned. Um, and he's a guy that is coming in here to try and win a spot. Like, I've talked to him a couple of times now, um, and he wants to be in the mix, and I think that that was something that really sold him. Um, that and the fact that I think that his official visit went very well overall but I, thought he, I think he clicked with some of the younger guys on that defense because one of the things about the, some of these Juco guys that they're recruiting, both um, Ajo and Hodge, is that with them being four for three guys, they're a little younger than your yeah. traditional Juco guys, so maybe they'll gravitate towards those younger guys on the team. And again, that goes into that whole team-building situation. Um, so I, I like both pickups that they got this week. And then the, the other Juco play that you mentioned coming in for an official visit, Julius Hodge, um, defensive end who is – Coats. Hodge, coach. Sorry, I keep saying Hodge because I'm thinking of the NC Jamoy State Hodge. guy. Mm. No, it's, no, it's a combination. No. I think I remember the old the Julius Hodge, the guy who played basketball at NC State, like maybe early 2000s. No, I no. He's a I, guy. I, I, I was born in 1992, Greg. I wasn't watching NC State basketball in 2000. That is true. You make me feel old. But also the combination of Jamoy Hodge too. Julius Coates. He's committed currently to Colorado. Very open. <laughs> I would label him as a soft commit uh, to Colorado. What percentage of Colorado's commits would you say aren't open to anybody yeah, else? It's really weird. Like, they have such a weird thing because even their guys from state, and I've written about this before, Like they've had a hard time keeping guys in their state. Um, I... I as much as like the Nebraska rivalry is with with Pierce, with is with Colorado, like I always thought Colorado should be a little bit better in recruiting. Like yeah. they have some tradition, they have a nice campus. Um, like, it, but that's a whole side yeah. <laughs> Julius Coates, um, he also took an official visit to Oregon last week. I don't know that he has what people love to talk about uh, in recruiting now, committable offers. I don't know if he has a full green light at Oregon. I know that that visit went very well out there. That green but, light. <laughs> yes. But Nebraska is uh, recruiting him hard. He's from Illinois originally and has talked to me a little bit about wanting to get closer to home so that his family could see him play. That could come up once or twice. That would not be Oregon. <laughs> yeah. And so that hurt, that hurts Oregon as well. Honestly, it hurts Colorado some too. Um, so I, I think as of now that he'll be the only official visitor for this weekend's game or this Friday's game. Um, but it's an important one because um, Coates is about, what, 6'7", 260, 270 as a defensive end. Um, so, so it'd be another nice rotational body um, in there. And he's an early enrollee. He'd be a January enrollee too. So that's yeah, that's big week, and then obviously we got 
a lot of local kids coming in as usual and heck this week i mean if you want to touch on that i saw some big uh, performances <laughs> this we week at the state big, championship games we did see some big performances yeah sebastian harsh will not be forgotten <laughs> no. soon tyson gordon put up a, a great um performance in that class b game as well as, as that battle kind of lived up to everything that we were hoping for and more um the class a game last night in a snow globe um, it was, I would say it was fun. It was really only fun for one side. Um, it kind of sticks, though, because for Westside's yeah. point of view, because they had a really nice season. Um, but as we kind of talked about all year, that Bell West team was so good. They were a buzzsaw all year long. Yeah. And this was the result that we all kind of expected to get eventually. And yeah. We didn't know who it would be against. But that's a really good football team that Coach Hoffman had this year. Well, and it's really, it's even more impressive because of the run that Westside had been on. They'd looked as good as anybody like they really handled a millard south team that had beaten them just a few weeks pre uh, previously by a couple of scores that came back and turned around and just smashed them um they were really rolling into this state title game i i am disappointed with the weather because i feel yeah, like it takes away from i feel like west side was impacted by that a lot more than bellevue west just because of that run uh, that run game with jay ducker is just it's so, so yeah like you Westside doesn't have anybody close to that. A lot of their skill, a lot of their talent was on this, uh, the periphery. Um, you had, on the perimeter, you had um, a guy like Avante Dickerson, obviously being recruited as a cornerback, but he's one of your fastest guys, and so you throw him out there, wide receiver. He had one catch for 16 yards. Outside of that, they didn't really. I, I thought Colt Payton, uh, Westside's quarterback, he really battled. He, he had, really had some kids, some drops. They had dudes in his face all game long, and he made some tough throws, even some that didn't even end up in uh, completions. I thought he really um, put put a lot of air under these passes, gave, gave them a chance for his guys to go get the ball. So it was disappointing from that respect, but it was a complete and total domination by Bellevue West, 35 nothing. Uh, Xavier, uh, uh, Xavier Betts for, uh, forgot his jersey, so he was out there wearing uh, – Number 14 instead. That's going to end up being a great story one day. I'm sure he hates it right now, but one day that will be a really funny story. Yeah, so uh, ended up in the, the, the live stats as uh, some other kid that I'd never heard of before. Yeah, it, was a, it was a sophomore. I yeah. looked it up. It was like a random was Jacob something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, because I, I totally forgot. I was looking there. I didn't realize I didn't see Betts' name. I was like, oh, wait, that's right. He wasn't wearing his own jersey. So, But he had three catchers, 39 yards. There was a really nice uh, catch and run, I thought, and saw for him. A couple and then, of those uh, like fly sweeps yeah. that they run for him, which I really hope that Coach Frost and Walters yeah. have noticed. That play had worked really well with him, and he runs that well. He, so, yeah, he's really good. He's I, very I, good at that. <laughs> I, I, uh, last year, I think, I, I saw a game with him, or maybe even two years ago. I think it's two years ago. Actually, when Bellevue West and Westside played two years ago. Oh, that crazy game? Yeah, that 60-something, <laughs> uh, whatever, 50-something, whatever it was. Like I was at, The first time I saw Dickerson play, he, I think he had two special teams touchdowns in that game, and that was insane, but uh, like, best just tore him up on some fly sweeps because he's so big and long, and he's got those long strides, so once he beats you to the edge and can turn the corner, it's so tough. Yeah. But uh, another really impressive player in that game is a guy that I think Nebraska fans should keep an eye on moving forward in that 2021 class is Keegan Johnson. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's yeah, I think that I think that he's a guy that is running himself towards an offer yeah. <laughs> in that game. Is, is I think that he's a really good football player. Like, he's just a good football player. Husker legacy is some yeah. of Cluster Johnson. Obviously, we've seen C.J. Johnson uh, at Wyoming. His career was cut short, uh, but he was a good player for them early on before the injuries got him. And then K. Johnson.
Johnson has just been tearing it up at South Dakota State right now. So those are his two older brothers. And like I said, his dad was Cluster Johnson. So he's got the bloodlines. And right now he might be, I think he's projecting better than either of those two guys at just at this stage of his development. He's a little bit bigger than Cade, uh, obviously. Um, I think a little bit more dynamic than CJ. So he's kind of got, he's kind of in that sweet spot between the two brothers where he's got the speed and got the dynamic ability, but he's also a little bigger, stronger, tougher like CJ was. So, um, and he's a guy that, what heck, he could play either side of the ball, defensive back or uh, wide receiver, depending on kind of how his senior year goes. So I was really impressed by him. He had a 50-yard uh, kind of catch on the, the fly sweep, I think it was, and um, went untouched, uh, just beat everybody to the edge. It was a beautiful play. Um, and, and then uh, he also had, uh, I think, like four catches, 66 yards, a touchdown. So he had a really nice – he ran some poor West Side defender over on one of his yeah. touchdowns. Like, it was – this is a really impressive performance. There's a kid that just keeps getting better. So that is definitely a name to keep an eye out for moving forward. Yeah, it absolutely is. And we're actually – it's funny. I'm looking at our clock here. We're actually running low on time already. Wow. Uh, Derek gave us a revised time limit, <laughs> uh, which was shorter. But that's okay. okay. We'll have to deal with it because I want to get your senior day thoughts yeah. uh, going forward. I guess the way I want to phrase this is, is – what will what will you take from this senior class? Like, what will you remember about this senior group? Small but mighty, some big names, yeah. some, not a lot of them, but some big names in the group. Yeah, unfortunately for this group, just based on how this season is going and the size of the class and how a lot of these guys aren't in kind of starring roles, I, I think this class is probably going to be a little bit more forgotten compared to, like, last year's class, senior class, where, again, the season didn't go great. But those guys really rallied the team. We heard all the time about the leadership there. Derek did a great uh, yearbook story for us on the four captains um, and kind of their senior leadership. I mean, that that right there, you had four captains that were seniors last year. This year, um, you you couldn't even find four seniors that you could be considered captains. So um, that – I'll remember this class probably for a guy like Mohamed Berry who – no matter how this this kind of career ends, how this this season went, like he's a guy that gave everything to this university, to this program. Like you cannot question that guy's passion. So that, I think a guy like that, and then a guy like Darian Daniels, who came here again. I, I feel uh, kind of feel strange praising Derek so much, but another great uh, <laughs> uh, feed, uh, yearbook fe- or not yearbook, but magazine feature story he did on Darian Daniels and Damian Daniels and how Darian ended up here. And obviously he got banged up a couple games, wasn't able to, to, to be out there, but he, I think, had a big big impact on this team this season. And um, defensive line hasn't been as stout as you would have liked, but they've certainly had some flashes. And him kind of solidifying that nose tackle spot, allowing Carlos to stay more on the edge, um, allowing Damian to kind of continue to progress at a natural rate versus having to play more, like a bigger role than what he was ready for. Um, so I think, I think you think of guys like that when you think of the senior class. And then Khalil Davis, his whole career, Carlos is kind of the guy that's played ahead of him. He's kind of been the bigger name between the two twins. Here, at the end of the career, though, Khalil is the one that's developed. He's got eight sacks this year, which is crazy. Like, he had three last year, saw some flashes. But this year, he's showed a lot of bursts. He showed um, a lot of playmaking ability up front. And he's got a chance to kind of play himself into um, being drafted here uh, coming up in this draft. 
There was a guy that you didn't mention, and I'm so glad that you didn't because I wanted to. Lamar Jackson yep. <laughs> is the guy that I remember from this class, and it, it is, and it's because of the way that I'll remember this class. Lamar fits it perfectly. Um, in that, when I think about this senior class, I think about basically like, turmoil is, is a negative word, but it's it's kind of what I'm thinking of. It's it's they've been through a lot. <laughs> like this group of guys, um, some of them, you know, the, the Davis twins being recruited by a staff, playing for one, and then. Playing for another one um, but Lamar Jackson to me can really represent a lot of what Nebraska wants to be going forward and how they want that buy-in but also as a guy who was just so talented when he got here and is now kind of showing that like it's it's just his development and his kind of maturation off the field as well he had a son um, before the season like it's just been really interesting to see his development as a person and as a football player, and I'm hoping that he ends up going out on as positive a note as where this season has been trending um, for him because it'll be kind of a redemption story. I'm talking about getting drafted. I think that he gets drafted in the, the, the probably the second day of the NFL draft um, coming up in April. Um, he's been very, very good, and I hope that he's remembered more fondly than he like was treated in the middle of yeah. all of this because it's been a, a wild ride for him. Well, and yeah, the problem with him is like some of his low lights are just so obvious and big. Um, so people tend to gravitate on to that. But you look at where he is in terms of pass breakups this year. He's not even conference wise, but nationally, he's up there. Um, he's really kind of developed into a solid player versus just a um, kind of a flash guy where. Yeah, he, he has a couple um, negative plays here and there, but, I mean, that happens for most guys. And um, for the most part, he's been rock solid this year. And that is looking forward to seeing how this team comes out. And I, I guess it'll tell us a lot about how they feel about these seniors is how much fight they show on Friday. Yeah. And if they, if they can go out and get a win here, rally around those guys, get those guys another game, get them to the bowl game here. That would be a heck of a way to send out this class after everything they've been through. Like you mentioned, the Davis Twins, what they played for four different defensive line coaches. That is insane. Like you haven't had the guy, you haven't played for the same guy more than a once uh, one year in a row, um, your entire career. So it's no wonder that they've kind of struggled a little bit, kind of been up and down. It's just you're constantly learning. You've never had a chance to settle down. So. Hopefully the, the, the guys can come out here and put up, put up a good fight and really go out there and take it to the Hawkeyes and give them give those seniors a chance to kind of go out with a bowl game, something that they haven't really gotten a chance to play in. Yeah, and, and I, I want to end here on this is because I want to get your thoughts on I want to know what it is that you want to see in this game on Friday and then give me a prediction on what you think we'll end up at. Oh, boy. I haven't, I haven't thought about the score yet. Um Really, but the one thing that I want to see is do not let this Iowa run attack get off the ground. Um, that that, that, that phrasing doesn't really work. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they're Hawkeyes. The yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> don't, don't, don't try. I don't deserve it. But don't let them get going on the ground. Like this uh, Iowa. You think of them as this ground-and-pound, physical defense, run-it-at-you type of game or type of team, and they haven't really been able to run the ball since 2016, except for against Nebraska. Every year, the last few years, the Huskers just haven't been able to do anything against Iowa's run game. And again, this year, they're under four yards of carry. They haven't averaged more than four yards of carry since week uh, four against Middle Tennessee State. 
they haven't. Yeah, it's the only conference team that they've averaged better than four yards against is Rutgers, which doesn't even count as a Big Ten team. So this is a team that has not been able to run the ball against anybody with a pulse. So I want to see Nebraska go out there, show that you have a pulse. Shut down that run game, keep it in check, and give yourself a chance to go win this game. Because if you do that, I, I just don't, I don't buy an Nate Stanley enough. I don't think if they shut down the run game uh, that Iowa's going to be in control of this game. I think I, no matter what, I think it's going to be a close game simply because Iowa doesn't blow anybody out. I don't think they can score enough points to blow anybody out. So I think Nebraska will be in it with the chance to win it in the fourth quarter. Will they? I, it's hard to pick them to do that at this point, but I think it will be kind of a one-score game in the fourth quarter for sure. Yeah, the, the thing that I want to end the the run game on both sides um, is really intriguing. I think that that really tells the story. Can Nebraska stop the run, and then can they run the football um, effectively, whether it's um, – Dietrich Mills getting going, or it's Adrian Martinez, who hurt um, Iowa quite a bit last year in Iowa City in the, in the QB run game. But to me, it's a, it's a more of a bigger picture thing that I'm looking for, and it's just for Nebraska to come out and play with energy and enthusiasm like this game matters as much as it does, right? And, and I feel like they've gotten a lot of swings at this thing where they're playing these games where their backs are against the wall, and we have not always seen them come out with the fire that you thought that they would, right? We've seen that plenty of times here recently, um, as, as recently as Purdue um, and <laughs> Indiana, that we just like, man, where, where's the enthusiasm? Um, this is a huge game. You can win a game for your seniors, send them out on a high note, like you said earlier. You can go, qualify for a bowl game. Uh, from my perspective, you can get momentum going on the recruiting trail that continues with you getting a couple of commitments this week because the contact period starts on Sunday. Um, and it's real nice to go into those living rooms of guys and say, hey, we kind of righted the ship. I know we were floundering there for a little bit, but this is what it could be instead of just trying to promise um, you can actually show guys something. Especially if you got young guys making an impact in that turnaround. That too. <laughs> and so, and, and then you've got other young guys that you're saying, okay, you, there's these guys too that are in the background that we're working that are going to be coming along too. But just, I want to see them come out like this is a big game. It, it's part of my my big pet peeve with Scott Frost and how he talks about, you know, one game at a time, they will say some folks and all of that. And I get that and I wrote that this exact line this week. I get it as coach speak, but it's okay to say out loud, in my opinion, that games are rivals and they mean something. I want Nebraska to come out and show that this game means especially because there's no chance of a letdown the week after this is it right this, this is, is <laughs> there is no next game right now this is all that you have this is the game yeah. so put everything into this game like it's okay to put a little bit more uh importance on this game because it's that's that, a fact I like there's the players are, yeah like i yeah. really did yeah. get the sense from the either we talked to this week that they're really fired up about it and i understand from frost's point of view he needs to to talk about it that way but as far as what i think will happen in the game i do think nebraska wins i think that they're going to come out with that energy um that i want to see and I, and I think that like you said it just feels like a close game either way and i think that this year unlike last year nebraska finds a way to win that um and the thing i didn't mention is that it's going to be nuts in that stadium i'm <laughs> behind me because yeah. it's right back there. Um, but you guys can't <laughs> see that, but Jacob can. <laughs> but I, I think it'll be a really fun environment, knowing everything that's on the line as well. You give the fans a reward yeah. for kind of sticking with the team. And we saw fans were really into it in that Wisconsin game coming off of all of the stuff that had happened yeah. then. Um, there was a loud contention of fans at that Maryland game. They'll be loud and proud here for this Iowa game to end the season. Like You give them a nice reward and send off as well. well and yeah. 
Frost said rivalries are more for the fans. The buildup to a rivalry game is more for the fans, but there is more juice in a rivalry yeah, game for players. Like you grow up, what middle school, high school, whatever, like uh, even college, like you go into these rivalry. Like you look at you, you went to Prep Westside this year, yeah. like that. Like, rivalries like that. It's different, yeah. And, like, Bellevue West against Bellevue East, that is completely one-sided. It's a beatdown every single year. Yeah, Bellevue West really enjoys beating down Bell East. Like, it doesn't really matter. Like, rivalries do mean something to players. And we'll, we'll see kind of how they cha- challenge or channel that uh, on Friday here. But um, this uh, is kind of disappointing that this is the last one for a few years before they kind of get it back going again. Uh, great work, Big Ten. and. Wait, yeah. Both, anyway. co- both coaches actually mentioned yeah. this week. I went back and read the Ferentz transfer. Both coaches mentioned that they will be glad to see the game return <laughs> when it comes back. Real quick, last number. We mentioned that the running game against Iowa. So Wisconsin three weeks ago, three hundred yards, six and a half yards to carry. This against Iowa. Uh, two weeks ago, Minnesota, sixty-three yards, two point one yards to carry. Last week against Illinois. 192 yards, 4.9 yards of carry. So it's hard, it's hard to know what to think of that. Um, Minnesota's got a really run, good run attack, and they shut them down. But then last week against Illinois, they uh, obviously they only scored 10 points, but they put up almost 200 yards on the ground. So there is there's some cracks there, there that Nebraska can exploit. There's there, and that's the thing. Like, and that's, there's going to my other thing. My pet peeve with Iowa in general is that Iowa is a fine team. They are not someone that should be dominating you yeah. all the time because they're they're fine. But the thing that they do well is the thing that Nebraska just hasn't done well is to play fundamentally sound yeah. football. Like, and, that, and it's something that if you don't do it on the other side, they can exploit that and really hurt you in that way. One last point, AJ Epinesa. We, 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 saw, we saw against Ohio State, for whatever reason, just kind of within their offense, Nebraska did not send a whole lot of help Chase Young's way. And Nebraska's tackles got destroyed. Can, can Brendan Hymas hold up against Epineza? Because Illinois was double-teaming him all the time. We just have not seen that. Nebraska's running backs have not done much pass pro. And even the tight ends, like occasionally they'll they'll bunch them in, but a lot more time they they stretch them out. So, does Nebraska change its protection to something we haven't really seen much of this year? Knowing seeing what happened in that Ohio State game, because Epineza can do that. He's not Chase Young, but he's the closest thing there is. Yeah, closest thing there is in the conference to him. So you cannot. Like if you're asking Hymas to to step up on an island and survive all game long against him, it's probably not going to go well against you. If he does win that matchup, or if they do give him enough help, I think Adrian Martinez will have a chance to make a lot of plays in this game, but they have to keep him upright. Yes, they definitely do. Jacob, it's been very fun. Yes. I think we held down the fort fairly well. I feel like it actually went better than normal for some reason. I, I don't know. For some reason, I don't know. I mean, I mean except for that start, which was Derek's fault anyway. It was, um, yeah. He chimed in, and that's funny that he actually ended up impeding our start. But coming up, Derek will have a conversation with Jordan Hansen, friend of the pod that follows Iowa closely. We will catch you next time, whenever it is that we rejoin the pod, <laughs> if Derek ever invites us again. Uh, he'll bring you back on me. I'm not so sure. We'll see.
Joining the podcast this week, I've had him on, this is now his, your third straight year in a row, um, well, year in a row, I don't need to say straight and year in a row, but whatever, it's your third, it's your third year, I'm, I'm excited about this, um, Jordan Hansen, he writes for the Missoulin out in Montana, uh, but big, uh, you follow the Hawkeyes, you know a lot about the Hawkeyes, and you are my go-to person when I need to know what's going on with the Hawkeyes. Jordan, thank you for coming back on the podcast. Yeah, man. Thanks for thanks for having me. I think you're maybe being a little bit too flowery with how much I know, but I, I like to I, I, I like to I like to keep up with the with the team, and it's been it's been fun. I mean, it's it, it, it's always good to have you know a little bit of college football knowledge in your back pocket, and you know it's uh, yeah. So. Well, you know more than I do, yeah. um, which well, is I, my. Go ahead. Yeah, but. No, I was no, I was just gonna say like uh, yeah, maybe just a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> I I and you're and you're my go-to person for Nebraska too, like in any sport. So you know it, it goes it goes it goes both ways. Well, my my first question for you today is is broad. Um, you can take it whatever whatever way you want because there are there are a couple things uh, individually or specifically that I want to hit on. But I'm just gonna ask you and see where you go with it. Why does Iowa's offense um, stink? Well, it's because Brian Ferentz is calling plays. No, I'm just maybe, – maybe that's too much of a hot take. But um, it's just I, – I, I don't know what I was trying to do half the time on offense. It's like they went to this whole, like, hey, we're going to you know throw in some RPOs. We're going to do away with some of the old Kirk offense stuff. And it's just like it hasn't always worked. I mean, like, like there's like a lot of like play designs that Brian will come up with. And like they'll look kind of nice when they're going through, but and then they actually run it on the on the field, and you know it, it's just it, it doesn't it does it, it just it doesn't work out. And you know Nate Stanley's missed some throws this year, and you know they they they've been so conservative in their you know first and second down play calling that you know they get into these like third and long third and six situations, and you know they're they're trying to pass. And last year, you know Iowa was able to you know, convert a lot of those and keep their drives going on because they had TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant who were like just gods when it came to picking up a third and six or third and five. And Iowa doesn't have that athletic tight end that they've had, you know, since 2012, 2010. I mean, you know, they, they've had a run of like, you know, really athletic tight ends that have been able to, you know, be guys that, you know, the Iowa quarterbacks can go to to extend drives. And, and this year that just hasn't really happened. And, you know, lately, you know, and, and the other thing that, you know, I mean, I'm not even going to talk about the Iowa wide receivers because, you know, they really haven't done that much. I mean, Amir smith that's good for, you know, a fun play game. And, you know, Sean Bayer at tight end is getting a little bit better. Tyron Tracy Jr., you know, is still a young guy. He's getting better. But, you know, it, it's just they don't have the, the ability to extend drives with the passing game. And if you can't extend drives in the passing game, you know, your, your, your rushing offense is going to, you know, dry up, and that's exactly what you saw against Illinois, and that, that that's exactly what's happened. And you know, a lot of their losses this year, you know, is that the is that the passing game doesn't go anywhere, the run game dries up, and then you're in a defensive slugfest. And Iowa's defense is good enough to, you know, win a lot of those, but it, it's just it, it's just frustrating because you know you, you need to use the run to you know set the pass, but you also need to pass to set up the run. And you know, Iowa can't string enough plays together to you know, on offense field to do that. So I don't know. That's my long winded like 
explanation, but I, it, I think it also comes down to just the fact that Iowa doesn't have the pass catchers that they need to, and and the offensive line has been suspect at some point. So, well, the the good thing about podcasts is you can be long winded in your answers. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit more about the ground game. So how much of this has to do with the offensive line, and how much of this has to do with the three running back rotation that Iowa's gone with? Because you you hit on something that I thought was really. Um, crucial. I've seen people on on social media, whatever um, the the fourteen point number. Like Iowa is fourteen points away from being unbeaten right now, which is true. They are, and when you're in those close games like that, you need uh, a difference maker. You need, uh, especially in offense, you need an explosive guy that can get you a touchdown. And Nate Stanley is once again under sixty percent passing. The running game, I think their three running backs are combined for like thirteen hundred yards, which is okay, yeah. but not great. And I, they're missing Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson. So the rush game, I was I was shocked to see. Let me let me pull up this number. They're like a hundred and third nationally in yards per play on the ground, which is yeah, it's ins- insane. How, how does that happen? I I, I don't know. I, I mean, it, I, I think it's partly because they, they can't get guys in rhythm, and you know, Ivory Kelly Martin's is taking a red shirt this year, so he's only played. You know, in a couple games, and he was a guy last year that when Iowa really needed a play, you know, they went to Ivory Kelly Martin a lot. And this year, it's been Mekhi Sargent, Tyler Goodson, and Torn Young. And you know, all three of those guys have their strengths and weaknesses. You know, Sargent's a really good, uh, you know, in the uh, pass protection and also as a safety valve, you know, at, at running back. You know, he's he's great with that. Tyler Goodson's a freshman, a true freshman, super explosive, and you know, they're still trying to work him in, but he also loses a lot of yards. Um, you know, going backwards, and, and, and he just makes some some bad, some bad decisions sometimes. But he's a freshman, so I mean, what can you say? And Torn Young's a downhill back, but you know, there's been times over the past couple of years, it's like this seems like it should be a Torn Young play, and they give it to somebody else, and it doesn't go anywhere. And you know, Torn Young's a big guy; he's a you know, almost more. He's, he's not a fullback, but like he's he's more of that build, and you know, he just I don't know. It, it's just. I, I, and, and like I was kind of saying, I, I don't think they can get guys in rhythm. And in the last couple of games, they, they started to go to Tyler Goodson a little bit more. But you know, he had 21 carries for 38 yards last week, and he you know got injured early in the early in the game, and he came back, but he wasn't obviously 100. percent So, and I, I think I think it's a combination of injuries. I think it's the offensive line, you know, just not being as good as maybe we thought they were going to be. Tristan Worst has been great. The Paulson twins have been suspect. You know, they're. Yes, some of their other interior guys have been a little suspect. Better in the better in the pass pass protection, but even in, even then, you know they've they've allowed some really bad pressures this year too. So, but I don't know. It, it, it's shocking to me how how much this run game you know really hasn't done much. And really, if you look at the um, you know the the times that Iowa's ran versus pass, you know they, they've rushed 387 times this year and they've passed 358 times. You know it, it's been a long time since I've seen like. You know, Iowa be that balanced. Usually, usually it's a little bit more run heavy. I mean, this isn't completely out of the ballpark for Iowa, but you know, it, it's just one of those things that just you know, they just have not put together any kind of offense this year. It's kind of sad to not really sad to see, but just like kind of just odd to see more than anything else. I've read about the the interior guard play for Iowa and how it hasn't been what anybody expected it to be. Iowa's eighty fourth in the country in stuff rate. And they're 67th in the country in standard downs sack rate, which is kind of getting to what like they've given up some pressure, um, they've given up some uncharacteristic things. It is 
is that is the offensive line like because after last year's game, Scott Frost said that Nebraska wasn't as physical as the team on the other side of the field. They weren't as big as the team on the other side of the field, and that was the biggest issue in the game. And if you look at the last four games, I, I all four Iowa wins, Iowa's dominated on the ground. Is is the offensive line at a point where you look at it and say, well, maybe maybe Nebraska can actually win the line of scrimmage this year? I mean, I can see it. I mean, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. I was been beaten on the offensive line, you know, several times this year. And I mean, even even in the games that they were close, I mean, it was just again the defense just making just some absurd like plays to keep the to, to keep Iowa in the game. I mean, you know, Wisconsin was a game that Iowa definitely could have won. You know, uh, Penn State was Michigan was a game that Iowa probably should have won. Penn State was a game that they probably had a good chance of winning. I mean, and, and those are the three losses. And I, I mean, I don't know. Cause it, it, this is so hard to quantify and put in a, put in a box because on one side you have three losses against teams that, you know, are, are top, whatever in the country, 19. I, I, I haven't looked at the college world playoffs um, rankings yet today. So that's on me, but, but on the, on the other side, I mean, you have just these, horrific offensive stats and you're just wondering is you know is it more of the fact that who they're playing or just the fact that Iowa just can continually just not produce on offense and I don't know it, it's just this has just been a weird season I, I don't really think this is what anybody was expecting I think it was a lot of like Iowa's just going to get their kick up and down the field this year because you know they they, they just lost so much last year but I, I don't know now 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 I'm really just rambling <laughs> I'm just again. It, it's just it, it, it's it's it, it's just it's, it's hard to put the season even season in a box for Iowa, and I think it, I think it starts with some of those things you you, you kind of talk about with you know you know what they what they've actually produced and how they how they've done that. Well, it's it's funny because we picked the um, we do weekly picks for Nebraska and then five other games. We picked the Minnesota Iowa game. Um, two weeks ago, and I thought that there was no way that Iowa was going to win that because Minnesota's offense is too explosive. I didn't think Iowa was going to be able to keep up with them. Lo and behold, it's 23-19, to 19, which is a very Iowa game and an absolutely winnable Iowa game. Um, and, and and like you said, the defense making plays to, to put them in position to, to win. And, and Chase Young has been awesome this year at Ohio State, but A.J. Epinesa is maybe a little bit... Um, overshadowed now he's not having the kind of year that chase young is but aj epines is really really good where's he going in the draft uh top 10 i think i, I really think he's i really think he's a caliber player and if, if, if you really like look at it, he's getting double and triple sometimes and you know teams have teams have done a lot of stuff to to, to game plan away from him and iowa really doesn't have you know some of the other i mean they've, they've got good defensive linemen but like they don't have like the the linebacking support and uh, um, some of the plays they need in the defensive end to really open up things for AJ and like get him into a position where he can really, you know, I mean, he's still making a difference and he, and his stats this year, especially lately have been like better, but like, he's one of those guys that like, I think NFL teams are going to realize on film and, and even live, you can see it too, that, you know, he, he's a guy that, you know, pair him with another, a really good pass rusher and they're going to do some pretty good pretty pretty good pretty destructive things for for your defense jordan what do you think are are three keys um to this game three three things that if iowa does iowa will win 
Um, if Iowa does or if Iowa doesn't do. Uh, either way, three keys to the game for the Hawkeyes. For sure. I think number one is um, shutting out A.J. Martinez. I mean, I really I really do. You know, Kirk kind of brought this up in his presser this week. He's like, uh, if you want a good window on what to expect next week, um, you know, basically that, you know, just look at the game last year. And he also was talking about how Iowa had a hard time trying to contain A.J. Martinez last year. And, you know, Nebraska had 400 yards of offense last year, you know, and Martinez was responsible for basically – all but what was that fifty yards of that seventy yards of that, and you know I, I think I think slowing him down is going to be a big key. I think that Iowa's offensive line, you know, getting any sort of push and especially getting that running game going early is going to be a key. And I think Nate Stanley has to complete a couple throws. I really do. I, I think that you know he's going to have to make a play downfield, and, and that's something that you know we've seen on occasion from Nate, but not 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 as much this year. So I, I'd like to see him just really you know, hit, hit a nice deep ball. And, and I think that could be one of those gut punches that Iowa's going to need to win this game. I see this being really close. I see, I see this being a really close game. And, in fact, it would I, – I don't necessarily expect Iowa to win, and I could see him very much losing this game. So, Has your opinion on that been changed over the last, let's say, two weeks? The last two weeks with Nebraska being competitive against Wisconsin and then looking – the way that they looked offensively. I know it's a bad Maryland team, but the last two weeks have given people uh, both here in Lincoln and um, a little bit around college football, a a little bit more confidence in Nebraska's ability to, to get to a bowl game. Has your opinion on the Huskers changed over the last two weeks? Like, did you think heading into the Wisconsin game that Iowa was going to keep things close against Nebraska? Had you thought that far ahead, first of all, or um, have, have these last two weeks kind of, changed the way that you view this Nebraska team? Um, a little bit, but like I'd like to preface that by saying that like even like back like before the season and like I just kind of figured that this would be one of those games. I wasn't exactly sure how good or bad Nebraska's gonna be this year. And I, I thought they're gonna be a little bit better, but you know, looking at looking at a six and six season that's not the in the second year Scott Frost is not the end of the world by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I really just thought that this was just gonna be just a, you know, obviously I was coming in here winning four straight. You know, Nebraska gets beat on a field goal last year. You know, Scott Frost is going to have his guys out for this game. I think that I was getting a little bit lackadaisical about this game. I, I think, well, I don't know, and, and, and I say that, but like, I still think there's a little bit of like, you know, this is a this is a rivalry game. This is a big rivalry game, whatever. Um, but I, I just I think that I think that Scott really has a opportunity for a signature win and I and like I said even before the even before the beginning of the season I thought that this could be you know a big win you know for for Nebraska especially considering that I thought Iowa was gonna you know at least at least be you know in the conversations being a, a good college football team this year and I, I love but yeah uh, I don't know <laughs> is there a, that's how I feel is there a uh is there like an Achilles heel or a kryptonite that Iowa has that Nebraska could exploit. I guess that we haven't already talked about. I was gonna say if you if you force if you force them into a bad turnover, I, I really think that that's one of the things that could flip the game. And I mean, Nate's Nate's only thrown six interceptions this year, and I and I have to look at it, but like his stats of like when he throws an interception versus like when he doesn't are like like weird, like in in the way that like you know Iowa's won a whole bunch of games when. He doesn't throw a pick, and obviously that, that, that sounds that sounds uh, 
you know, obvious, but it just it's one of those, it's one of those like weird stats. Of, like when he doesn't throw a pick, I was like only lost like twice, I think, or something like that. But I don't know. I think that's a big one. And yeah, like I said, if you can dominate Iowa's offensive line and really just shut down, you know, their ability to create and you know create drives, you know, that, that that's a big thing. And, and, and the thing is. I think one thing that's interesting that we really haven't actually touched on is the fact that Keith Duncan, like basically, he has a Big Ten record for most field goals. He's up, I think he's up, you know, obviously nationally. But the thing is that Iowa has to manufacture points because they can't score touchdowns, so they have to like manufacture these drives. And if you start putting Iowa in a bad field position and they can't make these drives that are sustained long enough to you know get a field goal attempt, you know, I, I think I think that's where you, I think that's where you can beat them. And then, and if they miss a field goal, you know, being able to capitalize on that, use that field position, and and flip it to your flip, flip it to your own advantage. I mean, Duncan's only missed five field goals this year, but he missed two last week, and you know, I can see him missing a couple this week, and you know, that's another thing that one of those momentum shifts that you really just need to take advantage of if you're Nebraska. So stopping Iowa from manufacturing points—it's it's like manufacturing runs in baseball. You're, you're manufacturing points with field goals, and if you can stop Iowa doing that, then you're going to have a good chance to win the game. Jordan, how do you think this game ends? What's your prediction for it? Uh, a field goal by Nebraska to win the game. Just, I just, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously seeing Deja the Deja Vu from last year. But I mean, I think if Nebraska comes out and scores like two quick touchdowns and it's like 14 to three or 14 to zero. I think Nebraska could win this game by 20 points. But on the Ooh. flip side, I think that I, – I just I, – I know, I know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm – not I'm just not too thrilled with this matchup or, you know, just how Iowa's offense has looked as a play. But I think if Iowa comes out, scores a touchdown, gets settled in, you know, maybe gets a field goal or they trade field goals or something, Iowa's winning like 10-3. I think that you could see the game ending like 17 to 10 or something in, in favor of Iowa. So, but I, I really do think that Nebraska wins this game. I, I I just have a gut feeling. I think I think between the you know hey you know we can still get to a bowl here and B this is Iowa this is a team that we've lost to four years in a row and and we're at home and this is senior day you know and so I I think that there's I think that there's a little bit of just momentum in the favor of Nebraska, just hypothetical outside momentum. It's just kind of in the in Nebraska's favor, I think. So Sounds good. Everybody can follow Jordan Hansen on Twitter. It's at Jordy Hansen, J-O-R-D-Y, Hansen with an E. Jordan, you're an AP Top 25 men's hoops pollster. When are you putting Nebraska yeah, in the Top 25? Never. <laughs> Man, did you... <laughs> you got, y'all got beat by... by uh, Southern Utah, and that was that was uh, it's not it's not a good loss. Southern Utah, and uh, I'm blanking on the first game of the season, but they they lost um, just recently to a pretty good George Mason team, who who went and gave Maryland some some guff on the road. Um, what was the first game? UC yeah. Riverside. That was I, the first loss. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, Hoiberg's going to figure it out. I think. Hopefully. It'll be fun times. I don't want to run out another yeah. coach. I've been here three years, and I think Nebraska has replaced like 15 coaches in the three years that I've been here. So um, we need to, to buck that trend. Jordan, thank you for coming on the podcast once again. Thank you for talking Iowa. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks, Derek. I appreciate it, bud.
That's it for this week. Read HailVarsity.com throughout the weekend. We'll have all the coverage on all things Husker sports. Find, follow, rate, and review the podcast wherever you listen to it. And we'll be back next week. Thanks, guys.